Change or Die Part 4. We're going to put the title up here on the screen. Part 4, The Ultimate Aim of My Change. Okay, and we're going to close this series out with doing one of the things that we talked about last week to help fertilize the growth of our, of our God plant, the plant that the Lord wants to grow us up into. And we talked about this last week, this, last week. we're doing it this week, our fasting and prayer campaign. Okay, for those of you who are new to Water Church, we do this every year. And so we gave this to you on the way in. Take it out, take it out, hold it up in your hands. Got it? All right, take it out. This is the guide to help you pray with us as we go through this. Now, I, I forgot to say this all week. I'm gonna say it to you guys. I know that there's a lot of new Christians in our church. In fact, we've probably seen more people get saved in 2020, the worst year that we've ever seen in, in our country, probably. Well, maybe not our country, but in a long time. Uh, but we saw the best year of our church in 2020. We saw so many people get saved, baptized, start serving, finding hope, finding peace, finding God in the midst of all that 2020 was. That's a good thing, amen? Now, there's a lot of you who are new to Christ here today because of that. And you're freaking out about this idea of fasting. And I forget because I've been saved a long time. I remember the first time I fasted was in college. And I fasted one day. I was a part of a music team. We traveled around. And, went, and, and so the, the, the team leader said, look, let's prepare our hearts. Let's fast for the day. I, I had no idea what I was in for. I literally got to dinner that night. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> uh, so I remember what it's like to do it the first time. Um, let me just say, it gets better and it gets easier, and the payoff in your spiritual life is huge. But if you're not ready to do all the meals, can I challenge you to do two of them? One today and one tomorrow, at least, and maybe breakfast on Tuesday. Let's be honest, breakfast is not hard. Come on, somebody. Who cares about breakfast? That's, some other, that's, a, that's a meal we made up because we're that, we're that stinking hungry all the time. All right, anyway, um, try it, all right, one meal a day. Uh, if this is your first time. I, let, let, but I want everybody to participate in some way. I'd love it, though, if you could challenge yourself. Well, let me back up. If you've never fasted before, maybe you should do the one meal a day thing. But if you've done this before with us, this is the time to step it up and take part in every meal. And we got a prayer guide. So my, uh, starting tonight, dinner, what are we praying about? What scripture are we reading together? Monday breakfast, Monday lunch, Monday dinner, Tuesday breakfast, and Tuesday lunch. And even though we are having lunch, you know, we, we got some uh, notes there for you. And then we come together again as a church at First Tuesday. How many of you are excited? First Tuesday's coming up. Our first one of the year, yeah. Now, uh, this one is gonna be great, but the snow is a problem. And if worse comes to worse and we're snowed out, and you can't get here. We're gonna do everything that we can to have First Tuesday. It starts at 6 p.m. But, but if, if worse comes to worse, and, and this thing's a massive storm, whatever, and you can't come, I got good news for you. We learned this during the lockdown. We can have church even when you can't get here. So we're gonna broadcast live worship and a live word on Tuesday night, just like we normally would uh, Tuesday, if it's impossible for you to get here. You say, well, how will I know? Um, well, remember we're fasting social media, so you won't be able to check with us about that until after your lunch on Tuesday. Some of you are gonna be like right at the beginning of lunch on Tuesday, I don't care. But at 12 noon, we will post something to our social media pages, or you can always do this. You can get out your phones and you can text the word Waters Church, one word, Waters Church, to 81411. 81411 is the number, the word is Waters Church, and then you will always get updated about everything that we do. 
and it's actually a very beneficial thing to have on your phone. So that's how you're gonna know about what's up with First Tuesday. We will let you know Tuesday at noon, and I'm praying, and, and by the way, maybe we should just jot in, uh, let's, let's do this right now, actually. Let's just jot Monday breakfast, pray and fast for no snow. Hallelujah, amen. Send it to Wisconsin, Lord Jesus. They're not fasting, they deserve it. Come on, somebody, okay. All right, that's, that's this, that's just a joke. Take out your phones, though, and head over to watersearch.guide or take out your notes that we hand you on the way in. I, I'm loving this trend I see in our church. When I say write it down, I see your head's going down, which means you're paying attention, filling in the blanks, following along. I love that. Write it down, take notes, helps you engage with God's word a little bit more diligently, and uh, we're gonna close this series out. So here's the title of the message. The ultimate aim of my change. The ultimate aim of my change. And if you got a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I encourage you also, bring your Bibles to church. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or smartphone Bible, smartphone app. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to get there in a moment. I want to build the case for why we're going to read it, and then we're going to talk about what it's saying. When it comes to change in your life, there's really just one key question you got to answer. This is a question that's actually going to be the, 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 the forward-moving question from this series onward. Here's the question. I'm going to put it on the screen. What's God's aim in my change? What's God's aim in my change? So every year we do this. Every January, we set out to change our lives. And every February, we stop. Right? So what is the problem there? I think the problem is we don't have the capacity, nor do we have the wisdom to know what should really change in our lives. And, and this is the problem with the human condition. This is why we need God. This is why we need God's word. Because we don't know really what needs to change. We know something needs to change. I mean, everybody in this house, you know something needs to change in your life, yes? Like, like, if you don't know that something needs to change, today after church, call your mother. <laughs> Ask her, Mom, what's wrong with me? And God bless you with the answer to that one. But what's God's aim, right? So we know something needs to change, but what's the change God wants? And what I think the problem is with a lot of American Christians, American Christians, so we aim at the wrong things. We aim at, well, well I want to be healthier. Uh, I want to be skinnier. I want to be more athletic. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's not what I'm saying. But is that God's ultimate aim in your change? Right? Or I want to get married this year. Or I, I want to finally pop the question to my girlfriend. Or, or I'm finally going to, we're going to actually go for it with having kids. Let me, let me just tell you something. There's a lot of married people who are miserable. All the miserable married people said, mm, don't do that. There's a lot of people with kids who, they got trouble and, and trials, and sometimes kids are more, more of a problem than anything else, and, and, and they're a blessing for sure, but, but they're not going to really be the answer to whatever hole that you think is in your life. Uh, parenting is godly, parenting is God's idea, but it's not everything. Some people are gonna aim at the career plan or the college degree. There's a lot of people with a college degree that today they regret that they went to college for that degree. See, we don't know the end of our lives. We don't know the whole story. Good news, God does. He knows exactly 
what he wants for you. We referenced this last week. I want to talk about this week. That, that God made you in your mother's womb. He knit you, the scripture says in Psalm 139, he knit you together. He, he fashioned you in your mother's womb and he put in your body a DNA code that he wanted you to become, not just physically, not just emotionally, but spiritually and intellectually. He wants your life to reflect his glory. No matter what it is, it's not about what, it's about how you do it and how you have it and that you have it and do it for the glory of Almighty God. I want to talk to you about getting your target right. His name was Matt Emmons. Matt Emmons was an Olympian. Now, the problem with Matt that we don't know why we don't know his name is because he did an event that nobody really pays attention to. He did rifle shooting. Like, how many know? In Olympics, it's like figure skating, swimming, a bunch of other things, rifle shooting. That's the one. <laughs> right above shot put. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? So anyway, this guy, the, the, the world champion and the defending Olympic gold medalist of the three-position, 50-meter rifle shooting competition. He won the gold in the year 2000. In the year 2004, he was back to defend his title. And he was one basic shot away from securing the gold. He was in second place at the time. It was the final shot. He gets in position, he kneels down, he takes aim, and he hits as close to the bullseye as you can without a bullseye. Plenty, plenty of points to secure the gold. He jumps up in the air, he's rejoiced, he's celebrating, I did it again, I did it again. Looks at the scoreboard, and his name doesn't go from second place to first place. It went from second place down to eighth place, completely out of medal contention. Never mind the gold. What was Matt Emmons' mistake? He sat down, he shot that gun, and he hit the wrong target. He was in lane three, and he took aim at the target for lane two. And no amount of arguing and no amount of contesting could undo the mistake that he made. I want to tell you something. There are some things that you're going to aim for in life that, that God doesn't want you to aim for that aren't gonna actually achieve the prize that you have been called by God to achieve. And I don't want you wasting your life, and I don't know about you, but I don't wanna waste my life doing what doesn't matter. Anybody with me on that? I wanna do what matters. I wanna do what God wants. I don't, I don't wanna look back and say, man, I wish that I listened to God. And I, I wanna say to everybody, I think about it this way in my life. It's a 10-year thing. Uh, you, you use this 10-year decade to set yourself up for what God wants you in your next 10-year decade. And so I think about this. Use your teens to set yourself up for your 20s so that God can get glory out of your 20s. Use your 20s to set yourself up for your 30s so God can get glory out of your 30s. Use your 30s for your 40s, your 40s for your 50s, your 50s for your 60s, 60s for your 70s, and your 80s. Move to Florida and play golf for the rest of your life. Amen. God bless you. you you're finished. Okay? Wait to die. God bless you. Anyway... The point that I'm making is don't waste your life by aiming at the wrong thing. What's God's aim in my change? Here's the answer, write it down. God's aim in my change is to be like Jesus. He wants you to be like Jesus. That's really the aim that God has for you. It's not about you being like or unlike your father or your mother or someone that you idolize on television or in real life. And check this out, Water Church. God doesn't even want you to be like me. I know that's hard to believe because I'm that cool. But that's not his aim. 
He wants you to be like Jesus. Why? Because there's no one in the universe like Jesus. See, here's what the scripture says about Jesus. This is why God wants you to be like Jesus, because Jesus is God. Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God. You know what that's saying? It's saying, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Okay, let me, let me just say something. Not politically correct, it's biblically correct. Jesus is not bros with Muhammad and Buddha. Okay, he's, not, he's, not, he's not one of the guys that God sent to the earth to give people an option on how to get to heaven. Nope, he's not an option, he's the option. And he's not pointing the way, he is the way. And he doesn't promise you life, he is the life. And no one gets to know God outside of Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God. And look at this word, the exact imprint of his nature. Some of you have gotten this idea that Jesus is just kind of like a good teacher, good prophet. I want to tell you something. You didn't get that idea from the Bible. You got that idea from someone else. The Bible is very clear about who Jesus is, and Jesus is God. You say, well, it'd be nice if he said it himself. Okay. I'll take it to John chapter 14, verse 8. When Philip, his disciple, said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus is like, dude, how long have we been hanging together? He said, listen, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Let me say something that's going to sound weird, but it's true. God is very Christ-like. He's very much like Jesus. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. All right, so listen. This is why God wants you to be like Jesus, because Jesus is God, and God wants you to be like him. Isn't that cool? Now, here's why you want that. Because God is generous. Anybody aiming to be more stingy in 2021? Anybody? That was your New Year's resolution? I want to be more? No? Okay, right, right? <laughs> Anybody like, I'd love to be more generous. I'd like to be a giver and not a taker. Twelve of you. God help this church. Okay. Um, <laughs> Anybody want to be more forgiving in 2021? I mean, these are the, okay. Anybody want to be kinder to people who bug you in 2021? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody want to just like strike somebody dead with wrath from heaven? God does that too sometimes, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. But the, the character, what I'm trying to tell you is the character of God is good character. That's why he wants you to be like him. He, that's why Jesus said when you talk to him, call him Father. Because he wants you to grow up to be just like him. Now, this is the truth. That's tough. That's tough, and here's why it's tough. Because every single one of us is going through something that is challenging us to be kinder. And compassionate. And forgiving. Like some of you are like, the last thing, Pastor, I feel like doing today is forgiving somebody, honestly. I feel like stabbing them. <laughs> is that in the Bible? Because I'll do that, right? It is, but it's Old Testament, so just <laughs> stay New Testament, all right? And, and so this is life. Like Life challenges us with things that we're like, I don't want to do this. And in fact, I just, I've been praying this out of my life. Okay, good news. We've been talking about Paul the Apostle this entire series. I want to take you back to a testimony of his own. When Paul was experiencing tremendous pain, personal pain, this is after coming to Christ, after ministering for Christ, after spreading the message of Christ around the world, and he was experiencing personal pain, and he found gain in his pain. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Two passages in this chapter that I want to show you on the screen first. First, verse 1. 
He says, therefore we have this ministry by the grace or the mercy of God. We do not, last two words everybody, lose heart. Skip ahead to verse 16, it says the same thing. So we do not, verse 16, last two words again, lose heart. What is he saying? There's some things that are coming at us, Corinthians. This is Paul talking. There's some things coming at us that are, gonna, that are gonna try to get us to give up, but we're not losing heart. No, Paul's saying, I found some gain in my pain. I found reason to believe that God is doing something good even when all around me is bad. Now let me give you the context of 2 Corinthians chapter four because it matters. The Corinthian letter, 2 Corinthians, It was written to a church in Corinth in the first century. It was a church that had been started by the Apostle Paul. He traveled around the world. This was his mission, travel around the world, make Jesus known, start churches, move on, start churches, move on, start churches, move on. So he goes to Corinth in Acts chapter 18. He starts this church. He puts pastors in place. He raises up elders. He's got all these leaders. He feels like they're in a healthy place. 18 months later, he moves on to another city. And then a few years go by and he gets a letter from the Corinthians. He gets a letter from the church. And he finds out about all this nonsense that's going on. Uh, There's sexual immorality. They're taking each other to court. They're, they're, they're getting drunk at, the, at church. They're getting drunk at church. Anybody ever tells you, we need to get back to New Testament Christianity. They've never read the New Testament. Those people were messed up. Amen. <laughs> the guy, one guy in this church was sleeping with his father's wife. Everybody said, Ew. I mean, come on, this is a messed up church. And on top of all of that, there were some people who had moved, they had infiltrated into the church and they started started teaching the church, they started twisting God's word to teach the church things that Paul never taught them, things that weren't actually biblical. They started to manipulate the Bible to gain an audience. And then, to top it all off, they started attacking Paul personally. They said, you know, Paul, he suffers a lot. A lot of people don't like Paul. He must not be from God. They also say, you know, Paul, you know, he can't even convince the Jews to believe in Jesus. So so how powerful of a preacher can Paul be? He's not even a good preacher. He can't even convince the Jews to become Christians. And and then they were saying things like, well, you know, Paul, he's not very impressive looking. He doesn't doesn't look like a real notable guy. Actually, Paul talks about this. I know you don't think I look like much and and that my letters sound more powerful than my presence in person. I mean, this was the attacks against Paul the apostle. And here was the rub for Paul. This was the church he started. These people were Christians because of him. And now they think they've kind of like outgrown Paul. You ever have somebody, you tell them, you teach them something and then suddenly they think they know better than you? Let me rephrase the question. Anybody have a teenager in their house? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and suddenly they don't, need, they don't need you anymore. They know everything, right? You know, so this is, this is Paul's conundrum with the Corinthians. They all know better than him. And, and so he writes back to challenge these attacks that are coming at him from the Corinthians. And he's got news for them. He says, listen, this has hurt me personally, but I'm telling you something, I'm not losing heart. God's using this in my life to produce, to change me, to become more like Jesus. Let's stand together. I want you to read with me from 2 Corinthians chapter four. 
And then four points, and then we're done. Here's what he says. Therefore, verse one, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then he says in verse three, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim, love this, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as servants for, your, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine in darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Skip down to verse 16. So we do not lose heart, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that these next few moments are governed by the Holy Spirit. I pray that your word will be clear, and I pray that my words will be what you want them to be and nothing of what you don't want them to be. Give us open ears, give us receptive hearts, and give us eyes that see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. I want to talk to you about maximizing the change God wants to happen in your life no matter what happens in your life. So my, pain, my, my gain and my pain, I want, you to, I want you to do a little fill in the blank here. Actually, I have to back up in your notes. My gain in every pain is this. God is using, and fill in the blank, whatever it is, God is using that to make me more like him. This is his aim. His aim is to make me like Jesus. And so here's the thing. The promise is, and we're gonna see this in this text, the problem is God's gonna use that to make you more like Jesus. Now, 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 I want you to do one or two things. You can either just imagine what you wanna fill in that blank or you can literally fill in the blank right now. But if you are sitting next to the person <laughs> that God is using to make you more like Jesus, maybe just fill it in in your head, amen? Okay. God's gonna use that challenge that you're facing to make you more like Jesus. Anybody invested in the stock market? <laughs> Maybe this week God's challenging your trust in money. Using this moment to break you free from thinking that money's gonna answer all your problems. Maybe you're going through a, a difficult season in your marriage and you can't see eye to eye and you're just arguing about everything right now. You're arguing about, you're arguing about things that you never argued before and you're wondering what happened to us? Can I suggest that God is gonna use that to make you more like Jesus? Maybe you're single and you're wondering, I'll never get married, I'm never gonna find anybody, I don't know what. Maybe God is using this season for you not to worry about who loves you horizontally, but who loves you vertically. Come on, somebody. Maybe you just lost a job. Maybe your job has been outsourced. Maybe COVID, you thought 2021 would change everything and here we are still wearing masks. In fact, they're telling us to wear two stinking masks now. And you're thinking, what the heck's going on? And I wanna tell you something. God is gonna even use this season of our, of our country to do something great in his church because his eye is on his people no matter what the world is gonna do. 
That's my hope for you. That's my hope in the scriptures. God's going to use whatever you're going through to make you more like Jesus. So let's talk about maximizing the change God wants to happen in your life, no matter what happens in your life. Point number one, remember, and all the points start with remember, God's word is never wrong. When in doubt, go with God's word. And this is what I love about Paul the apostle. These, these self-proclaimed super apostles that had infiltrated the church in Corinth. You know what they did? They took the word and they twisted it and, and, and tainted it and corrupted it and took it out of context to say things that the people wanted to hear. This is why Paul says in verse two, he says, we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We're not gonna do that. He says, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. By open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's question. In other words, we're not gonna tell you what you wanna hear. We're gonna tell you what God wants to say to you. Let me tell you something, in America 2021, there are countless preachers who will tell you what you want to hear. You can find them on YouTube. You can find them all over the place. There is, this Christ, there is this version of Christianity right now in this country. It's a disgrace. It's all about you. It's all about Jesus is kind of like your spiritual financial advisor. And he's just there to kind of help you get the good life. And so it's really not about glorifying God. It's about you becoming a champion, you becoming awesome, you completing your dreams, making sure you check off your bucket list. I, you're going to become a star in Jesus. I call it good old-fashioned American idol Christianity. And this is American Christianity. In fact, there's a great uh, Netflix documentary you should watch. It's called American Gospel. It's all about this. All about how this version of Christianity where it's all about you. Let me, let me be very clear. The Bible is not about you. The Bible's about Jesus. The Bible's about what God has done for you in Jesus. And I tell you this because if you fall for this nonsense, there's gonna be some serious disappointment in your life when you realize that it's not really about God getting your dreams accomplished, but about God's dream being accomplished through you for the glory of Jesus and so that people can see who he is all around you. This is what Paul says. I'm not gonna tamper with it. I'm not gonna twist. I'm not gonna distort. Paul knows a word is true. Here's what it says in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. There's always gonna be a disconnect between what God says and what culture says. There's always gonna be a disconnect between what the, the general population and even the majority population say and what God says. You have to remember that. When in doubt, trust in God. You have to go with what God says about marriage in this book. You have to go with what God says about male and female and how they're both made in God's image. You gotta go with what's in this book. You gotta go with what God says about life. And you gotta go with what God says about forgiveness and, and money and giving and generosity. Go with what God says and in the long run, you will see that God's word is true and righteous altogether. It'll bless you. Point number two, remember every critic, not every critic is right. So God's word is never wrong, 
And not every critic is right. This is gonna help some of you big time. Because it's not gonna be long as you follow Jesus that someone is not gonna like it. So the critics were saying about Paul, look at Paul, he's trying to preach and not even the Jews listen to him and he's a Jew for heaven's sake. You can't even convince your own people to believe what you believe. You must not be called by God. So Paul had an, that was the criticism against Paul. So Paul had an, uh, an answer to their criticisms. This is in verse three of Second uh, Corinthians four. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. They meant the, the veil they're talking about. There's some people that just can't see what you're talking about. Paul. He says, I know there's always going to be people who will never see the gospel. And look what he says in verse four. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds, the minds of unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. He says, listen, when people reject the message of Jesus, the problem is not the message of Jesus. We clear about that? Like when people say, you know what, I'm not interested, I'm out. We don't then judge the message by their response. That's a fool's errand. That's what happens when we get you version Christianity. The Christianity is all about what you want to hear. We've got to tell people what God says regardless of how it makes them feel or what it makes them believe. We've got to tell them what Jesus has declared because it's true and it doesn't matter what the response is. And Paul says, listen, there's, going to be always, there's always going to be somebody who's blind. They're not going to see. And their reaction or rejection does not validate or invalidate the truthfulness of the message. Let me tell you how this applies to your life. As you follow God, there's always going to be somebody criticizing you. It might be a friend. It might be a neighbor. It might be, it might be a parent. It might be a spouse. It might be someone you work with. And your tendency might be to think, maybe they're right. Maybe I, need to, maybe I need to soften. Maybe I need to you know, stop this. Maybe I fall in the wrong thing. Wrong. When you do what God wants, there's always going to be somebody chirping. Chirp, chirp, chirp. There's always going to be somebody saying, nah, you shouldn't, nah, I don't know, you're crazy. What are you doing? You're taking this too far. That's what they said about Paul. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus got criticized. I get criticized. Yours truly. We get criticized in the church all the time. All I got to do is go on some Facebook page. They were telling me about this the other day. Some Facebook page where people say, oh, Waters Church is homophobic. Waters Church is racist. Waters Church is da, 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 da. I mean, we've heard it all. But listen to me very carefully. It doesn't matter what haters say. It matters what God says about our church. It doesn't matter what your enemies say. It matters what Jesus says about you about your church. We tell the truth and we understand that there's, an, there's a hostile enemy to Christianity in this world. It's the God of this world. And we're not ignorant that he's out there blinding the minds of unbelievers. You follow me with this one? There's always going to be a critic. You know, some people criticize. You know why they criticize? Because they're jealous. They don't like the peace that you've got. They don't like the fact that you get in your life together. They don't like the fact that you can forgive people who've hurt you. They don't like that stuff. And they're jealous. And they're just na- and there's some people they criticize because they're just nasty people. They're never happy about anything. You give them vanilla ice cream, they wonder why didn't you put a cherry on top? <laughs> no matter what you do for these people. I heard a story about a woman who was at her hairdresser. And this hairdresser had a notorious reputation of, of criticizing everything. And the hairdresser asked the woman, so what are you doing the next couple of weeks? She says, I'm actually going on vacation. She goes, oh, really? Where are you going? I'm going to Italy. Oh, 
What airline are you taking? The hairdresser asked. She said, well, I'm taking American Airlines. She goes, oh, American Airlines, that's a terrible airline. Their seats are so small. And the stewardess is all nasty or mean. I hate American Airlines. She goes, where are you staying, by the way? She goes, I'm staying at the villa. She goes, ah, oh, the villa's nasty and outdated. I've been there. It's the most gross hotel. It's got rats, mold, smell, gross place. Good luck with that hotel. She says, what are you going to do when you get to Italy? She says, well, I'm hoping to see the Pope. She says, oh, the Pope is too busy for you. He's surrounded by tens of thousands of people. You'll be lucky to see the Pope through a crowd of 50,000 people. But good luck. Enjoy your trip. <laughs> she comes back two weeks later after the trip and has her hair done again by the hairdresser. Hairdresser says, how was your trip? She says, oh, it was fantastic. She goes, really? How was the airline? She says, believe it or not, they overbooked the flight. They got me free bumped up to first class. I had all the room in the world and a free meal. She said, well, how was the villa when you got there? She said, you won't believe it. They did a $50 million renovation just before I got there. I was in a two-bedroom suite, clean, pristine. It was fantastic. She said, really? Did you see the Pope? She said, you won't believe this. The Pope mobile came right by me. He stopped in front of me and he shook my hand and talked to me. She said, you talked to the Pope? He said, she said, yes, I talked to the Pope. The Pope what did the Pope say? She, he said, that's the ugliest hairdo I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> It's a good old-fashioned preacher joke right there. I love that one. <laughs> there are some people that are going to criticize you no matter what you do. And some of you remember this from before you were Christians. Before you were Christians, you got criticized by people. It's just now you become a Christian, you're criticized by the people who used to love you. That's okay. Somebody say, it's okay. I want to put a scripture on the screen. John chapter 8, verse 48. Look at the scripture. Are we not right in saying that you have a demon? Who are they talking to? Remember last week I told you 99% of the time the answer is Jesus. <laughs> this is one of those times. They're talking to Jesus. They're telling them, hey, aren't we right? You're, you're demon possessed. They, they said demon. De Jesus was demon possessed. Talk about being on the wrong side of history. I mean, seriously. If G, listen, let me just boil this down real simple. If Jesus got criticized, you're getting criticized. If Jesus got hated, you're getting hated. If Jesus was rejected by those he was sent to help and save, you're getting rejected by the very people you hate, you, you help and you help save. It's just a fact. Jesus says, if this world, if you were of this world, it would love you as its own. But because you're not, because I have called you out of this world, the world hates you. It's not about race. It's not about color. It's not about political position. It's about Jesus. Be hated for Jesus and rejoice because great is your reward in heaven ahead of you. Amen, somebody. I want to boil this down. I want to boil this down. You got critics. I want you to, I want you to write this down. I must stop judging the change God produces in my life by the reaction it produces in those around me. Now, right there, that's probably worth the price of admission, right there. I gotta stop judging what God is doing by what people think about it. Let, the scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar. And Jesus said this very famously in Luke chapter 6, 26. It's kind of like a life verse for me. Luke 6, 26. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds. For so they praised the false prophets. I always like to think about this verse. I said, 
and say to myself, if everybody loves you, you're doing something wrong. If everybody loves you, you might not be following God because this, this world is hostile to him. And so criticisms are gonna come. Let them come, Lord. I bear those criticisms for the glory of Christ. Point number three, remember you are a servant for the sake of Christ. You, dear Christian brothers and sisters, you are not masters, you are not, you are not, uh, I, uh, you are not to be famous, you are not to be celebrated, you're not celebrities. We're servants. We're servants for Christ's sake. Jesus said the greatest among you must be servant of all. He said if you want to be great, humble yourself. If you want to be notable, lay aside what you want and serve the needs of other people. And Jesus, the night before his betrayal, the night before his crucifixion, he gets down on his knees and he pulls a bucket and a washcloth out and washes the feet of the disciples. And they're like, you shouldn't be doing this. You're Lord. He says, no, this is what we do in this movement I'm starting. We don't ser ser seek to be served. We serve. We're service for Christ's sake. So here's what this means for your life. Wherever you are, you are there to serve Christ. You are there to serve for his sake. Paul says this to the Corinthians, verse five. Look at this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The false teachers, the false apostles, they were just talking about themselves. They just wanted to gather an audience to make a great name for themselves. Paul goes in and says, listen, you guys remember, I didn't preach about me, I preached about Jesus. I didn't come and tell you how to, how to live a great life. I, I came to tell you what Jesus said. He said, lay down your life. Like we forget this in modern Christianity. This is, a, this is a lost art. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. It's not always going to be celebrate you. You're the champion. You're amazing. Sometimes it's just going to be, you're going to hate, be hated. You're going to have to reject what you want for the sake of what Christ wants in your life. I want you to write this down very simply. It's not really about me. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever the situation, whatever the struggle, it's not really about you. And Paul unpacks this for us a little bit clearer. Look what he says in verse three. Uh, I'm sorry, in Colossians 3, 3. He says, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Uh, to be a Christian is to die to what I wanted. Galatians chapter 2.20 says, for I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look what Paul says. He unpacks this. Look at this. I love this. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. And then verse 15, skipping down, he says this, for it is all for your sake that as, the grace, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, here's what he's saying. Let me simplify. I'm gonna struggle for the sake of Christ. I'm gonna go through some seasons I don't understand for the sake of Christ. I'm gonna get perplexed. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get bruised. I'm gonna get wounded for the sake of Christ. But here's what I know. God is going to use all of that to bring glory to Jesus and possibly bring G people to Jesus as well. Amen. 
Can, can God do that with your life? Can you, can you do that today and just l- let this thing be surrendered once and for all? God, have your way with this situation. Have, have your way with this, this thing that's confusing me. And so that, so that whatever happens, Lord, I pray that it brings glory to your name and shows other people how good you are. Some of you have lost in this year. Some of you have lost right now. Some of you are about to lose. You know, the greatest testimony to the world that Jesus is worth it is when we lose something dear to us and we still have joy inside of us because we know we'll never lose the most important person. We'll never lose him. Number four, and finally, remember, I'm being renewed on the inside no matter what happens on the outside. I like this point. He he, he says, no matter what happens on your outside, American Christians, obsessed with the outside, obsessed with the the right look, the right style, the right Instagram pose. (laughs) Don't worry about that. That really doesn't matter, actually. God's working on the inside. So Paul says, we do not lose heart, verse 16, though our outward self is wasting away. Somebody say, wasting away. Just turn to your neighbor one more time and say, you're wasting away. That's a nice way of saying, you're gonna get uglier. Just letting you know. We all get ugly, we all get old. Good news is we die. There's no stopping it. You can nip it, you can tuck it, you can liposuck it, but it's gonna happen. There's no stopping it. Let me just let me just tell you something. If you get obsessed with this, you'll lose this. God, God's okay with, with this going down. That's all right. He's not worried about he's worried about this. He, by the way, this. He's got a new this waiting for you in the the next life. We're gonna be raised to immortality, hallelujah. No more sickness, no more more pains, no more more arthritis, no more cancer, no more disease, no more COVID, praise Jesus. Come on somebody, about to get saved myself up here after that one. This is temporary, this is eternal. What matters is not how you look, what matters is who you become. So in verse 17, finishing up, he says, look, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's a character God's building in you. There's, there's, a, there's a kindness God's building into you. There's a forgiveness God's building. There's compassion that God's building. There's some of you, you'd never have compassion for people who struggle with something if you didn't struggle with it in the first place. So this is what God is doing right now with whatever it is that you just wish was not part of your life. He's using it to make you more like Jesus. It's a sermon in a sentence, and I thought, I can't come up with a better sermon in a sentence than Paul the Apostle actually did. Summing up this series, summing up, closing up right here. Romans eight twenty eight, very famous passage. We love this passage, but we always put a period where God put a comma in this sentence. Look what it says. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, usually that's where we put the period right there. But the statement's not done. He says, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then it says this, 
for those whom he foreknew, for those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, that God is gonna work in all things, all things are gonna work together by the, by the direction of God in your life because you are called to his purposes and you have been predestined to look like Jesus. That, my friends, is biblical change. So I got a prayer for you. I want you to pray this prayer on a regular basis. This is probably a good prayer for you to pray, whatever the situation is, the financial struggle, emotional struggle, relational struggle, whatever it is. I want you to write this down. Father, I thank you that what I am experiencing right now is helping me grow to become more like Jesus. What I'm experiencing right now, I don't like it. I don't want to, I don't have to celebrate it, but I'm thankful you're working in it to make me like Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.